Good morning, everybody. I'm going to borrow this thing, and hopefully it doesn't flip over on me again. <laughs> Remember when that happened? That was so, so funny. So it's my luck, right? So, hey, uh, yeah, this week is uh, Veterans Day, right? We celebrated Veterans Day. So I just want to take a minute and recognize our veterans. So if you are served in the military and you are a veteran of our armed services in any way, Coast Guard, Merchant Marines, Army, Navy, Air Force, any, if you have served at all, would you please stand and be recognized? I know, there we are, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for your service. I know, uh, you know, America has the largest volunteer military in the world, and they are good at what they do. <clears throat> so... I heard a story about a guy, he was one of those Weather Channel watchers, hopefully you're not one of those Weather Channel watchers, <laughs> it's okay if you are, so uh, this guy, he wanted, he wanted to find, oh, what, oh, with the kids, I'm sorry, okay, kids, if you got third grade and uh, down, you can go, <laughs> sorry, y'all, I got everybody waving at me in the back, so... I'm a little lost. I'm just, I'm just jumping in, you know. So, yeah, good, good. Uh, the kids, yeah, they don't like to hear me. So that's it's good for them to go play. So, uh, yeah, this guy was a Weather Channel watcher, and he was one of those. Uh, he watched it all the time, right? So his goal in life became to get. He wanted a uh, to buy the finest barometer made so he did his research and ordered one and it came in the mail and he pulled it out of the box and he looked at it and it said hurricane and he looked around what in the world is this and he shook it banged on it and didn't change at all and so he got real upset and he stuck it on the counter and went to work the next day and when he came back home he was surprised to find that the barometer was missing and so was his house because they area had been struck by a hurricane <laughs> And so that was uh, one of the New York hurricanes that came through. But the passage we're studying today, Daniel chapter 11, is kind of the passage in the Bible that's stuck on hurricane. And it's telling all of us, if you're a believer, that something's coming, y'all, and we got to, to, be, to watch out for it. It's alerting us. The time is coming. The world's going to end as we know it, and Christ will return. And there'll be a great world war called Armageddon. And it's pretty, pretty dark times, what we're going to read today. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of serious stuff in here. So uh, it's 45 verses of just very, very detailed and very accurate and very uh, terrorizing stuff. If you're not a Christian, if you're a believer, it's hopeful and optimistic, but it's still pretty scary. So I hope that... Um, you can get something out of this. It's, uh, I've, I've, I've just been studying and studying. I've been trying to find ways to condense this. And we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be here for till one or anything. But it's pretty deep. So just hang on. Um, so the Bible assures us that, that Armageddon is coming. It's off. We don't know when it'll happen. Nobody knows the time or date or hour. But it is coming. Armageddon's on the way. And, uh, Daniel 11 assures us. So my question to you is, how can we trust what the Bible says? 
how can we know that this is really going to happen? The world will, really will end. The, the heavens are going to open up and Jesus is going to come out of the clouds and there's going to be a great world war on the plains of Megiddo between the Dead Sea and the other sea. The Mediterranean Sea, thank you. So I'm not geographically challenged. So there's a big war coming. That's where it's going to be. How do we know that that is true? The scriptures we look at today in Daniel chapter 11 are arguably the most debated and questioned verses in the Bible. I don't, I don't really, after reading them and, and seeing the detail, I can kind of understand that because if you think that Daniel wrote what he wrote 400 years before they happened, how could they be so accurate? I mean, how could somebody tell the future like that? They are incredibly accurate and incredibly detailed. And a lot of people discount chapter 11 in Daniel because they're too accurate. They believe, they truly believe that it was written after the fact. So uh, a lot of people really discount the Word of God for that reason. But they are true. We know they are. Um, people can't believe it. One of the things, is just, just a number here, there are 100 and between verses 1 and 35, there are 125 prophecies about what happened in the intertestament time period. There are 125 specific detailed prophecies, and every single one of them have come true. Every single one of them, down to the names and down to the people and places and what happens. So it's, it's pretty difficult uh, to imagine that Daniel could, be, could do this on his own. We know that all Scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. So that's what the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy. So I hope today it's not, uh, I don't hope it's not too academic. Y'all know me, I'm not, I'm not you know, some genius or anything. I just love studying God's Word, and this is really good stuff. So, all right, there are three parts to Daniel chapter 11. I am not going to read all 45 verses, y'all. So uh, I'll tell you what they are. Here's, if you're taking notes, here they are. There are three parts. There's verses 1 through 20. And then we have Israel's tribulation under Persia and Greece. We have verse 21 through 35. That's Israel's tribulation under Antiochus Epiphanes. And we have verse 36 through 45, and that's Israel's tribulation under the Antichrist. So we have, we have Azuharis, well, if you do it in three kings, you have Azuharis, Antiochus, and Antichrist. Those are basically the breakdown of the chapter. So Azuharis, which is Xerxes, Antiochus Epiphanes, which is a weird, terrible dude. And then we have Antiochus, or Antichrist. So we have the Antichrist coming. We're not going to get, uh, we're going to learn a little bit about these guys, at least hopefully something that is worthwhile and you can remember and take with you to heart. Okay, if you notice the theme in those breakdown, it all has to do with Israel's tribulation. Israel's tribulation. I don't know why that Israel is so hard-headed, but it reminds me, you know, I'm, a, I'm an assistant principal at a high school, and I can see, like everybody in the hall, like Israel, 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 Israel. Because <laughs> I'll tell these guys, you know, what are you doing out of class? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Go back to class. Quit, quit leaving. Quit skipping. Okay. Next day. What are you doing out of class? I don't know. It's just like rebellion, 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 rebellion. And I feel like that's Israel. Some of these guys in high school, they just don't get it. And they continue to rebel. But guess what? You know, when they finally get those grades at the end of the semester and get those grades at the end of the year, why am I failing? I don't know. 
I don't know, you know, there's a, you know, there, there is no free ride, y'all, there is no free ride. So somebody has to pay the price, and Israel pays the price. Uh, Daniel was kind of, if you remember, that um, from chapter 10, Daniel has been uh, praying and about why Israel has not returned to the promised land, back, why the nation of Israel has not returned back to Jerusalem, because the guy, Xerxes, or Darius, Darius, not Xerxes, Darius, decided to send them back. Well, not very many of them went. They kind of liked what they were doing. And Daniel is really discouraged because they've been in Babylon a long time. Babylon's fallen, Persia's come in. And he's like, what is going on, Lord? I thought this was it. I thought we were done with our persecution. I thought we were supposed to go back to the promised land. And so he's praying in chapter 10. And the angel comes and tells Daniel that God sends an angel. Remember, he got caught up in a battle with the prince of Persia, which is some demon. And so, y'all, this spiritual warfare is for real. And, and there's scriptures right here to prove it. I don't know if you read, this shows my age. There's an old book by Frank Peretti called This Present Darkness. Man, those are pretty good stories. Now, they're fiction, but they're based on scriptural truth about spiritual warfare. So, um... But Daniel's been praying, the angels have been fighting demons, and finally the angel gets to Daniel and he tells him, here's what it is, here's what's going on. And Daniel, he tells Daniel all through chapter 11, that 11 is the revelation of God to Daniel. And it's really discouraging. So um, Daniel is not, not thrilled about this. and He's like, why is Israel going to be persecuted and have all this tribulation from now, from then in Babylon, all the way to the end of time. It doesn't end for Israel until Jesus comes back. That's, that's how long the persecution is announced. So you've got to ask yourself, why? Why? Why is this happening? Well, um, the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 11, if you'll flip over there, if you're not already there, down in 35 of chapter 11, we're going to back up in a minute, but we're going to look at verse 35 for now. This is the reason why uh, this is all happening. Okay, so God's telling, if you go up a little bit, the sentence above the start of 35, and the angel's telling Daniel, and he says, And many shall join themselves to them with flattery, talking about God's people. Verse 35, And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. So why is God doing this? He's doing it to refine and purify and cleanse God's people. That's the reason. He's doing it to refine, purify, and cleanse God's people. There is no free ride. So I don't know, when I, when I thought about this, I just, it really struck me that God will only tolerate rebellion and idolatry among his people so long. At some point, there's going to be a price to pay. And so it reminded me of um, the process of purifying metal, purifying metal. It's called, it's a, in metallurgy and, and smelting, they get uh, precious metal, they, they mine it, and they, they get the ore from the rock. They mine it out of rock, and they melt these, this rock down. And as the rock starts to melt, it's temp different temperatures, different metals are, pure, are, are brought out of the rock, are brought out of the ore. But there's some stuff that comes up to the top of that. It's a boiling cauldron, you know. There's, they stick these rocks in this giant steel container, and, 
And they boil these rocks, they heat them up to over a thousand degrees. And this stuff that flows to the top is kind of like making chicken soup from scratch. You got to skim that stuff off the top. That's not good. And so this stuff that comes up to the top is, um, is called uh, dross. And the word means worthless, waste, matter, rubbish. It's inferior. And that's what, we're, that's what God is going to do to his people. He's going to take out all the worthless matter, all the rubbish, all the, the waste, and get it out of you. He's going to get it out of you. There's a, por- uh, there's a book or a, called, by James Joyce called A Portrait of an Artist. And in there, the character Father, Father Arnell warns his students. He says, he warns them against sinful acts. He tells them, How miserable will all those pleasures seem to the soul condemned to suffer in hell for ages and ages. How they will rage and fume to think that they have lost the bliss of heaven for the dross of earth, for a few pieces of coin, for vain honors and bodily comforts and a tingling of nerves. They will indeed repent. The sin that we deal with today, the dross in our lives, is temporary. Heaven is eternal. But so is hell. So is hell. There is no free ride, folks. You're going to have to, if you, you, at one point, everybody will bow the knee before Jesus Christ. And if he's not your Lord and Savior, you will not enjoy the bliss of heaven. Okay? So that's, that's a dark word. Sorry, y'all, I'm really, I'm really a positive guy. So, uh, but that's the truth of it. So we got to teach the truth here. All right, let's read uh, Daniel chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. We're going to pick and choose here our verses. Daniel chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. Okay, here we go. So the kings of the south and kings of the north. As for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So this is the angel, right? The angel from chapter 10 is just strengthening Darius, uh, the king. And now I will show you, Daniel, the truth. Behold... Three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these." The king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be great, shall be a great authority. Okay, that doesn't, y'all, I've looked in my Bible, this is one of those um, new study Bibles, it's a big giant ESV, this thing weighs like six pounds, so I looked up this chapter in this Bible, and um, like there are two pages of notes with graphs and family trees and stuff. So it is not easy to deal with this material. So I, but I did all the study. I'm going to help you. So here we go. The angel has come to explain why to da- uh, Daniel. First thing I want you to notice is that the angel is assigned to Darius, not to Daniel. He says, in the first year of Darius, I was assigned to him, to strengthen him, to encourage him. Isn't that weird that, he's, that the angel of God is sent to encourage and strengthen an unbeliever, a pagan king. Is that, I always thought we had guardian angels, right? But this guy, this pagan king has a guardian angel. 
He has some, God has. So the first big truth, big idea I want you to get is even among unbelievers, God is still God. He will have his way. So even though you may not agree with who's leading which nation at which time, even here in America, God is still God. He will take care of things. There's a verse in the Bible that says that God, like his, his hand, directs these kings and these leaders where he wants them to go. He's guiding and directing these kings all over the world into his will, into his plan. God is still in control. So that's encouraging, right? So I'm trying to balance the positive and the negative. All right. Verse 2, so Persia comes in and tries to eliminate Israel. And we have this fourth king. His name is Xerxes or or Azuharis. And this is the story of Esther, right? You remember Esther? Esther? (laughs) So Esther is, uh, King Azuharis is about to, uh, so I want to make sure we understand why we're, why why Daniel's teaching in 11 only deals with the king of the north and the king of the south because there are four kingdoms that are described in Daniel when Alexander the Great's kingdom is divided among four nations, but Daniel only deals with the king of the north and the king of the south, mainly because Israel's right in the middle, and they're the ones who try to eliminate Israel. And Azuharis is the first one who does it. He tries to eliminate all of Israel. But we know the story. Uh, he doesn't get to do that, and Israel is saved. So Greece comes in. Uh, then we have the, this, this other leader, Antiochus Epiphanes, emerges. And so... Um, well, Greece, Greece is the, one, the other one that tries to eliminate Israel, Antiochus Epiphanes. So a king in the north, king in the south. But I want to speak about Alexander for a minute. Verses 3 and 4 describes Alexander the Great. You imagine that? So Alexander the Great is one of the greatest military people in history. By the age of 33, he conquered the known world. And, so, and, and he died at 33, very young age. So the Bible only gives him two verses. That's not much. So I want to, it's interesting that why, why, why does Daniel not take very much time to deal with Alexander? Alexander doesn't try to wipe out Israel. So I found out through my study, y'all are going to be really impressed. Josephus, this guy named Josephus, he was a Jewish historian. He wrote about Alexander in his writings. And he says um, that when Alexander arrived in Jerusalem, the high priest showed him the book of Daniel. And he, and he showed him in Daniel where he was talked about in Daniel. And, Dan, and Alexander was so inspired that he didn't, leave, he didn't bother Israel at all. He left him completely alone. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get to see Alexander in heaven. You guys here are historians. You might know more than I do on them. So, all right, verses. Uh, so then, okay, that's it. Uh, King Azuharis, Alexander the Great. The kingdom is divided. So then we get, so the kingdom is divided. And the Bible tells us in, in the scriptures we just read that it was divided among four, the four winds of heaven. When Alexander took over the world, he had four generals. And he, he did have children, but they were, all, they were not good. And they died, they were killed. And so his kingdom was divided into, among his four generals. And the two main generals that caught the kingdom were Seleucus and Ptolemy. Seleucus was in the north, Ptolemy was in the south. Syria and Egypt. So the next verses 5 through 20 is 130 years of war between these two kings. Israel's right in the middle. So that's 15 verses right there. So that's pretty good. You're you're welcome. (laughs) So uh, 15 verses, 130 years of war, Israel's in the middle. So what's the point? 
God knows the future, and he knows what's going to happen. We can have confidence in his word. He has a plan and purpose for his people, for you and me, and you have a place in his plan. We have a place in his plan. No matter who we are, we have a place in God's plan. So I hope you are striving to find that place. Okay, let's skip down to uh, verse 21, and let's read that. Verse 21 of Daniel chapter 11. So in his place shall arise a contemptible person. I don't know, yours may say vile person. Wouldn't that be, that, that's the how you want to be described in the Bible. A vile, contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries or by subterfuge. So skip down to 29 through 31. We're going to skip down to 29. At the time appointed, he, this guy that's a vile person, shall return and come into the south. Back down, he's going to attack Ptolemy. And it shall not be this time, but it shall not be this time as it, were, as it was before. For the ships of Kittim, or Rome, shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. And so there's more there about Antiochus Epiphanes. So this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, comes on the scene. Now, all this has already happened, y'all. This is, and this happened exactly the way Daniel wrote it. Antiochus Epiphanes means, he, he named himself Epiphanes. He gave himself that, that title. It means exalted one or great one or illustrious one. The Jews called him uh, Epimanes or Epimanes or an, a play off of that word, which means madman. And he was a madman. So he goes down, he gets really arrogant. He goes down and he attacks Ptolemy in the south, who's really a, a great general. But Ptolemy has an ally in Rome, okay? Kittim, which is Rome. There's a great naval battle that ensues. This is all in history. It's not in the Bible. It's in the history. But it, it is kind of here. So naval battle ensues, and guess who wins? Rome and Ptolemy. And so they come to Antiochus Epiphanes, the ruler in the north, and they tell him, surrender, you've lost. And the arrogant that he is, he says, I'll think about it. And so the guy, the messenger, his name is uh, Papilius. It sounds like a Shakespearean play, doesn't it? Papilius. He draws a circle around Antiochus. He goes, okay, you think about it, but decide before you step out of that circle. And that, that's pretty bold, right? I'm going to use that at school. You think about it, <laughs> but decide. So he says, uh, so defeated and humiliated, of course, he surrenders, and he returns to the north by way of Israel. And he was not happy. He was really upset. And he did terrible things, y'all. This guy, he was... Some people believe he is the Antichrist mentioned in the Bible. He did just awful things. And uh, Daniel said this would happen. He said back in Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, he said this, this persecution by this one guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, would last 2,300 days, about 13 years. And it, he did. He, he went into Israel and he just did terrible things. I mean, y'all, it, it is not, Steve knows so he was, when we studied this in our life group uh, a few years ago, we talked about some of the things. But one of the things he did, he ended the sacrifices. He plundered the temple. All the treasures were gone. 
and he put in an image of Zeus in the temple. And then he set up the abomination of desolation in the temple. That's how the Bible refers to it. And he, uh, we don't know exactly all of that, what that means, but one of the things he did was he slayed an unclean animal on the altar, which was a pig, we believe. And he gave the meat, he fed the meat to the priest and the people. And so it was just, yeah, that was one of the worst things you could do. But he ended up killing 80,000 Jewish people. He imprisoned 40,000 more, and he took 40,000 as slaves. He built this arena, this like uh, gladiator games type arena. He made them all go down there and do things like without clothes and stuff. And he was extremely perverted and an extremely sick man. And he did terrible things to Israel. It was one of the darkest times in Israel's history. Okay, there's good news, y'all. I'm balanced the positive and negative, right? I'm a positive guy. So here we go. Look at verse 32. This is really good. This is the, if you're going to underline a verse, this is the verse. Okay? So verse 32, he says, He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Look at this. But, that should be capital letters. But, don't you like, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. That's like the best verse in the whole book. Not really, verse 45 is pretty good. This is it, y'all. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So here's the encouragement for us. There's a time, I believe, if you haven't already experienced it, we've seen it in the news some. Man, I'm going to get in trouble here. So, uh, I think there's a time, the Bible tells us that the time of great persecution is coming for believers. That the Christians, the Christian church, God's church, God's people will be persecuted in the world. Economically, educationally, occupationally, practically, spiritually, Every which way you can think of, Christians are not going to be, you're not going to have an easy time of it. Great persecution is coming. You can already see some of it happening, right? You can't, uh, I think there's pastors who have, like I, I read about a pastor just recently in the last couple of months over in Europe, and he basically preached about homosexuality not being something that God honors. It's not part of God's plan for people in his design for men and women, and he was arrested for saying that because it was called hate speech. And so um, that's just one example. But already in our world today, we see persecution against believers. The enemy is already laying groundwork for heavy attacks against God's people. So my question for me and for you guys is like verse 32 says, when that time comes, when that time comes, do you know God? Are you going to be able to stand firm and take action? Stand firm and take action. We get to, the only way to do that as a Christian is to know God. And this is, this is one of the ways we do it. We come to church. We go to life group. We read Bible. We pray. We sing. We know God. We serve him. This is, this is what we do at Redeemer. We get to know God. So when the persecution comes, we will stand firm and be able to take action. We won't be discouraged. I don't know, I think I'm going to be a little discouraged if somebody tells me to quit talking about Jesus. I don't know that I can do that. Okay, there's more, y'all. There's more. 
skip down to Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 and 37. So, okay, all of this is already, that's history. So 1 through 35 is done. Accurate detail, you can look it all up and study that. It's, it's exciting to think God predicted that much accuracy and it all happens. But verse 35 to the end is what's still to come. Is yet It has not happened yet. So we're, we're into future, even now, 2021, what we're going to read here has not happened yet. It's yet to come. So verse 36 through 37, prophecy. All right, so, and the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify. The king is the Antichrist. So this is the Antichrist. This is the man that we know, we think of, and we know of as Antichrist. The king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, and for what is, decree, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one, belo- or to the one beloved by women. I don't necessarily like that translation. He shall not, but we'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall not pay attention to any other God. He'll magnify himself above all. So this is interesting. The ESV, I just, I've been studying in uh, the New King James, the NAS all week, but here it is in the ESV. He says, he shall pay no attention to the God of his, in verse 37, or to the one beloved by women. I don't think yours says that. I think it says he will have no love for, wim- for women or the desire of women. He will not have a desire for women or something like that. So, and we'll talk about the reason that's, a, that's kind of an interesting translation just a second. Um, there are, so Antichrist, I want to tell you about Antichrist for a second. So, uh, makes you think of Left Behind series, right? If you're a reader, so the left, left, this is Left Behind series. All right, so Malcolm Muggers said, said what, you know, they asked this great journalist, Malcolm Muggers, he said, what do you think is going to be the end of mankind? He said, well, what's going to destroy man is when man begins to act and think of himself as God. And here we go. We got a man coming as Antichrist, and that's exactly what he does. He thinks he's God. So there are lots of descriptions about Antichrist in the Bible. Let me give you a few. Second Thessalonians calls him the son of perdition, the son of sin. Uh, Revelation calls him the beast. Daniel chapter 6 calls him the little horn. Uh, in verse 36 through 37, he has no regard for, for any God, not just Jehovah, Yahweh, Jesus, he has no regard for any god except himself. He's going to be the leader of a ten-nation confederacy, and he has no desire for women. He's a military leader as well, and, and he's a tyrant. So this desire for women, I don't know, y'all. There, I read everything, not everything. I read a lot about this particular translation of the Antichrist. So it could be mean two things, two things. That's really I don't like the ESV. The ESV takes it out of my hands and and gives it, and they interpret it for us. Two things. It could mean that he's homosexual. I don't know. Uh, the second thing it could mean is he has no regard for the desire of women, meaning with a capital D. So there's a belief that the desire of women was to be the mother of the Messiah. Does that make sense? There's a belief in literature that the desire of women would be the, just to be the mother of the Messiah. Remember when Daniel wrote this? Which means if if, he's not a, if this doesn't mean that the Antichrist is homosexual, that means he has no regard for Jesus, so for the Messiah, okay? So there's two ways to look at that. I don't know which is right, 
You can study that and figure that out on your own. So um, I, don't, I don't necessarily, me personally, I'm not speaking for Redeemer. I guess I am. So uh, I, think it, I think it tends to be more the, to the homosexual bent than to be a desire for, not a desire for, G, for Jesus Christ, no reverence for him. Because the Bible, the plural word there is, the plural is God's. He has no regard for any gods, plural. So no, no God at all except himself. He thinks himself as God. So that's the reason I think that. So there's that. Okay. So the Antichrist is a benevolent leader. I mean, he's a military tyrant. He's all these things. But he begins as benevolent, as a benevolent, kind, problem-solving, miracle-working peacemaker in the world. He's going to emerge as uh, a great peacemaker solving problems everywhere if you read all that in revelation it also talks about his his being healed of a mortal wound you know i don't know a lot of people think he's killed and he comes back to life so we don't really know what the mortal wound is but he's healed of a mortal wound in revelation martin lloyd jones said of the antichrist that he will do such marvelous work as to as to deceive even the elect of god he will be a really well-spoken, amazing person to behold in, in the world leadership that we, have in our, that we see today. So I don't know what that looks like. I, I think a lot of people, you know, they start for like, ever since I became aware of politics, like in high school, every, there's always a group that believes the president is the Antichrist. You know, first it was Reagan, then Bush, then they're all the Antichrist. So but we don't know who it is. But these are the descriptions the Bible gives. Okay, so what we read in Daniel about this Antichrist, he becomes a tyrant, and he sets himself up in the temple in what we just read, and he commits another abomination of desolation, declaring himself to be God. He declares himself to be God. So this guy is going to come on the scene, he's going to solve all these problems, and he's going to become a terrible military tyrant, and he's going to start being a dictator. Three and a half years of peace, love, and everybody's happy. And then three and a half years of tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, of revelation, three and a half years of peace, love, and joy. And he's the leader. Everybody thinks he's awesome. They think he's God. He thinks he's God. At some point, he's going to sit in the temple and he's going to declare himself God. But then he becomes a military tyrant. And he starts taking over the world. And people start realizing, this guy is not nice. He is absolutely not nice. And so they're going to rebel. So there's going to be a rebellion against the Antichrist. So it's, it reminds me, so you think, okay, there's two sides in this world. There's God's side and the devil's side. So all God's people can be unified, but even the devil, you know, even the devil, they fight amongst themselves because even here, here we have Antichrist in charge of the whole world, and he can't sustain it. People rebel against him. It's kind of like the guy, uh, there were two guys, I heard about these two guys riding a tandem bicycle, and they went up this big hill. And they got to the top, and the guy in the front, man, they were sweating and puffing and just going up this tandem bicycle. They got to the top of this big hill, and he says, uh, God, that was the toughest ride, the toughest hill I've ever done. And his partner behind him said, uh, man, uh, and it's lucky that I kept the brake on, otherwise we would have slipped and fallen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my humor. Okay, that's all we got. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. So, uh Anyway, the, the Antichrist is in the temple, and he's ruling, and he thinks he's God, and then all this rebellion starts happening. And man, I'll tell you guys, look at verse 45. 
this is this is the best this is next to verse 30 32 or this is the best verse this is the best verse look at verse 45 okay verse 45 of chapter 11 and he shall pitch his uh, palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain yet he shall come to his end with none to help him with none to help him alone and desolate he will face his end this is where this is the battle of armageddon all the nations that he had this 10 nation confederacy all the powers of the world that thought he was the best leader in the world they're all going to rebel and they're all going to come against him as israel and it's all going to be fought on this great battle called armageddon on the plains of megiddo between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. And there's the, they're all going to come back. The king of the north, Gog and Magog and all that stuff. Er, king of the south are coming. Everybody's coming against him on the plains of Megiddo in the battle of Armageddon. And look at what it says in verse 45. He says, He shall come to his end with none to help him. And we know what happens. Jesus comes back. He calls his people up. We're going to march with him. He's going to take out the devil and throw him into the lake of fire. He's going to throw him into the pit. He's going to set up his holy kingdom. And we're going to, oh, Stanley, Stanley, are you, is this chapter 12? <laughs> Stanley's teaching chapter 12 next week, so I hope I don't ruin that. But it is so exciting to think that he gets to face his end, right? So verse 45, yet, yet the powers of hell cannot unite men. The nations rebel in the final battle of Armageddon. And he shall come to his end. So the question, uh, we're coming to a close. We're, man, I'm early, so it's good. I know y'all don't mind. So the church, on that great day in the last battle, whose side will you be on? Whose side are you going to be on? When times get tough and persecution comes, when the enemy attacks, will you be spoken of in verse 32? Are you going to stand or are you going to fall? Yeah, this is the church. We're here for one another. We're gathering together. We're getting to know God. When the persecution comes, we, we should be able to stand and take action. We should be able to stand. And I'll tell you this, as much as, as much as is written about the Antichrist, we're not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. I'm looking for the Christ. And it's closer now than, it ever, than it's ever been before. Remember that song, Midnight Cry? It's closer now than it's ever been before, right? It's coming. Tomorrow will be a little bit closer. We never know when the end's going to be here. I hope you're ready. I hope you're going to be on the winning side. I hope I get to meet you in heaven in the clouds with Jesus and march with him on the plains of Megiddo and see him take the beast and throw him into the lake of fire. I hope you're with me. I hope you're with me. There's an there's old story about a ship in a storm. Isn't it funny? I just, a lot of ship storms, <laughs> illustrations. Well, this ship is bad. It's, the storm's bad. Getting close to the rocks, danger everywhere. The people are scared to death. The passenger tells everyone, I'm going to run up. I'm going to check to see if the captain's okay, see what, what's going on, because it looks like the rocks are just getting closer and we're all going to die. He runs up to the top, and he sees the captain in the wheelhouse, and there he is, the captain's chained to the wheel, hands on the wheel, chained to his post, tied there, and he looks over at the captain, and the captain slowly inching the vessel away from the rocks. And the captain notices the man staring at him, and he, he gives the man a smile, and he nods. And the man, he, and he turns back, and he keeps inching the wheel, just back out into the open sea where it's safe. 
And the passenger runs down below and he says, all is well. The captain is in control. All is well. The captain is in control. Y'all, I can tell you today, all is well. The captain is in control. I hope you're on the winning side. Let's pray. Father, it is overwhelming and exciting and scary to think of all these things that happen. It is assuring and encouraging to think your word is so accurate and so true, and you wrote these things for us so long ago. Thank you so very much for giving us this word, giving us this encouragement. Thank you, God, for uh, telling us what's to come and giving us an awareness, an opportunity, Father, an opportunity to not delay in knowing you as our Savior. Heavenly God, I pray that we as a body of believers would know you, that we'd be able to stand, we'd be able to stand, Father, and take action when persecution comes. I pray, Father, for everyone in this room, for every family here in this room, when persecution comes and the, the battle is raging, when the storms of life are, are starting to come at us and we feel like it's not going to be good, Father, we can know you and we can stand. Here we are together in this church called Redeemer, Lord, and, and all around this room I see my brothers and sisters who stood with me and even when I'm dealing with so many difficult things. I pray, Father, you'd help us to gather together, to know you, to be able to stand. Father, if somebody in this room, Lord, is not part of your kingdom, I pray that they would do so and become part of your kingdom today. Folks, I don't know if you're, if you're, if you know beyond a shadow of doubt, if you would see Jesus as you died today. If you have any doubt at all, try to find me after this church, after this church service, and I can help you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'll see heaven that you'll see Jesus one day, that you'll be on the winning side. Just admit your need for Jesus and ask him into your heart. That's our prayer for you today. We ask all this, Father, for your glory and in your name. Amen.